Hey guys, guess what? Have you ever heard of Fatheads? You know, the company with annual revenue of 15 plus million and about 200 employees? Well, if you're a sports guy or have seen the commercials, then you probably know the exact company I'm talking about. Anyhow, I just interviewed the founder and that exclusive Patreon episode is ready for you right now. So to gain access to it, be sure to check out your Patreon feed right after this episode. And now, on to this interview with Lori Cheek. Oh, Lord, I made every mistake you could possibly make. I mean, if there was a spreadsheet with all the mistakes you could make as an entrepreneur, I made them all. Like, I had no business starting a business. But 10 years later, I feel like I've gotten a master's degree in business. There was just venom coming out of her eyes. I hope she doesn't listen to this. Because one button was turned off. But you know, I never even dreamt of, okay, let's test this a month before to see if it hits my credit card. I don't know, I never even thought about it. Well, you know, most entrepreneurs and the sharks would cringe if they heard me say this, but... That is the number one lesson I've learned through this whole business. If any of this can help someone else, whatever I'm going through, whatever I've been through, and the fact that I haven't given up is inspiration to someone or is a lesson to maybe quit. I don't know. I just feel like whatever's happened to me in the past decade, I am literally writing the book. I'm Lori Cheek, age 47. I am new to Louisville, Kentucky. And I own a dating app called Cheat. It's a Bluetooth dating app that connects singles in the real world. So you're new to Louisville, Kentucky. Why are you there? Well, I was in New York City for 25 years and I got a little concerned about the pandemic. I was funding my apartment by running out of room on Airbnb. My Airbnb operation shut down because of COVID and I found myself just throwing all sorts of money into rent just to store my things. I ended up pulling the plug on New York and I moved to Kentucky and I've been here since March. Why Kentucky? It seems like a random place to move from New York. Oh, Oh, you think it's random? I know I grew up here. (laughs) I don't have a lot of guests from Kentucky. so. Yeah, I grew up in a tiny town outside of the big city, which is Louisville. So I was quarantining there with my parents for a few months. And then I realized if I'm really going to live in Kentucky, I think I've got to get out of my childhood room and start some sort of life. So I came to the biggest city, which it's been interesting. Yeah, it's a decent sized city, right? Yeah, I don't know how many people, but I guess it's a couple million. I'm just guessing, but it sure feels different than New York. What are the differences? Well, I guess times are different right now just because there's people are not really going out much, but it's just, I don't know. You know, New York is just insanity at all hours of the day. And here it's very calm. People are really nice here. And surprisingly, there's tons of art everywhere I go. There's like this beautiful street art, murals and graffiti and sculpture. So, I mean, it's just a smaller version of New York City, but like a lot smaller. And so when most people Google you or your company, what's like one of the first things that ends up showing up? I would say one of two things. One is the the Shark Tank and another is probably a lawsuit that came out of me being on the Shark Tank. Yeah, I was going to allude to the good thing, but then I realized we're going to eventually hit on the bad thing too. But I think most people, I guess you were season five, episode 18, it looks like, in case anyone's wondering, I think you're the first one coming out on that episode. So just tune into that or Google her and you should be able to find that episode. And I guess that was 2014? Yes. 
when you did that pitch? I pitched in 2013 and it aired in 2014. Okay, gotcha. And so on that, did you get any investors? It's sort of a long story about the investors, but not from the show. And in fact, they all on the show told me to quit what I was doing and go back and get my job in architecture. But I did have someone that had come to me right before I went out to film the show and he ended up becoming my angel investor and partner. And just to be clear, because that was my fault for not being clear. Was it the same company that you're doing today? It's the same company, but we've pivoted it quite a bit since then. Okay. So yeah, it was a cheeked dating app. And then, so what did you pitch then and what does it become now? Well, I pitched these dating cards, which were like business cards, but for dating that didn't have any personal information on them. So they had all these funny pickup lines that you could slip to strangers in person and they could type in the code from the card and find your profile on our website. And since then, we've sort of gotten rid of the card concept and turned it all mobile app, but it's still meant to connect people in person via Bluetooth technology, which if anyone's in a 30-foot radius of you in the gym or a coffee shop or a bar, you can find out who else is single and you can either walk up to them and say, hey, or shoot them a message, or you can talk to them later. The difference is now versus then it was the card and now you're saying it's more Bluetooth integration or like, I guess I'm missing the difference of what it is today. And we can dive into details, but just overall summary. Yeah. So before it was these physical cards that had a code that led to a profile online and now it's just a Bluetooth connectivity. So anyone else that has the app on their phone, it's an immediate real-time connection within a 30-foot radius. So you've got to be sort of close to each other. But yeah, we've completely gotten rid of the cards after the Shark Tank. That makes sense. So yeah, no cards anymore. But it was kind of similar to an extent of like, I guess people would just go in there, they could scan it or put in a code, right? And then now you just skip the card process. So yeah. And so after that, like you said, you had an angel investor and that y'all ended up making something different. So I'm just wondering, do you think we should jump back to even before Shark Tank and how all this started? And then we can get into the stuff people Google and what actually happened with the lawsuit, where you are with that and all that other stuff. But do you want to reel it back to before you even started, Cheek? Yeah, back in time, I graduated architecture school from the University of Kentucky and threw up my hat that day, packed a car and drove to New York City to, I packed up a, a moving truck to move to New York City to become a famous architect. And after 16 years working in architecture and design, I came up with this idea that I could not stop thinking about. And it was this real life dating idea with these cards and how I came up with it. I was out to dinner with a colleague, another architect one night, and I had excused myself from the table to go to the little girl's room. And when I came back, he'd written on the back of his business card, want to have dinner? And he handed that to a woman as we were leaving the restaurant. And I just remember thinking how sort of romantic that was. It felt like elementary school when someone hands you and I like, you know, I just really liked that he didn't have to interrupt this woman's dinner. He just handed a simple note, which was on the back of his business card. Yeah, I was just thinking about it nonstop. And after two years, I finally brought it to life. Okay, so that would be like 1998 is when you actually brought it to life? So it was 13 years ago, and we launched in May of 2010. Okay, so you graduated 96 in Kentucky, and then you went to be an architect. So were you an architect for like 14 years? Yeah, so I worked in architecture and design for 15, 16 years, and then I left to build this business. Okay, well, yeah, can we just talk about that for a minute before we jump to when you started Cheeked in that business? Yeah, so I've worked at all sorts of cool jobs. 
doing architecture and design and some project management, some even sales of some very fancy high-end furniture. I had some really cool jobs. I worked for Christian Dior as an architect for four years, and I got flown to Paris and all over America designing the stores. And something that I just always wanted to do my own thing. I was never happy in this nine to six, seven o'clock job. And I was always late to work. I'm never late to anything. I was ready to pack my bags to leave the second the bell rang at the end of the day. But it's interesting when I came up with my own idea, all I do is work and I've never been happier. So there was something about just wanting to be my own boss. I recently started reading a book called Believe in People, not only because they're sponsoring this ad spot, but because the book is filled with compelling examples of how to solve really big problems. Believe in People by Charles Koch and Brian Hooks is the collected stories of social entrepreneurs who created uncommon solutions for the common good. A former gang leader turned peace broker in his community, an amateur athlete who created one of the most innovative recovery programs in the country. Learn what inspired them to make things better in their communities and how they're still discovering new and better ways of doing things. It's a message of hope, in a time of crisis, and optimism in time of division. For anyone looking around the country right now and thinking there has to be a better way, well, this book is for you. That's right. Believe in People is out now. Order the book today at believeinpeoplebook.com forward slash inspiration. Again, the book is available right now, and you can get it at believeinpeoplebook.com forward slash inspiration. Today's episode is sponsored by Guideline. Think your business is too small to offer a 401k? It's not. Guideline provides easy and affordable 401k plans for small businesses and startups. Whether you're offering an employee retirement plan for the first time or want to make changes to your current retirement benefits, they design a plan to fit your needs. You can get set up in as little as 10 minutes. Guideline handles the admin, compliance testing, record keeping, and investment management. There are no separate setup costs, no added investment fees, and monthly fees start at only $39 plus $8 for each employee. And they integrate with popular payroll providers. Over 13,000 companies use Guideline to manage their 401ks. With the Guideline 401k, you and your employees can save money while saving for retirement. For a limited time and for eligible employers only, if you go to guideline.com forward slash millionaire and tell them you came from our podcast, you can get a $100 gift card, but that's only as long as you do not currently offer a 401k plan for your employees when you start your 401k plan with Guideline. That's guideline.com forward slash millionaire to get a 401k for your business. Don't forget, that's guideline.com forward slash millionaire and tell them that our podcast sent you. But over that time, again, the 14 or 15 years, do you think you just slowly stopped liking architecture? Or again, I'd like to dive in more in this detail because it's fascinating as far as why people maybe stop their job or when they make that change, because it's never too early or too late. There's someone probably listening right now exactly in your shoes and they're like, oh, I've been at this job for 10 or 15 years. I can't leave now. I love architecture and design. I think I'm always going to be an architect. When I got this new apartment in Louisville, Kentucky, I was in heaven just being able to design a new apartment. 
I think it was something about working in this corporate world, spending 40, 50 hours a week to build someone else's dream when I really just wanted to build my own. And throughout those 15, 16 years, I had come up with so many ideas that I kept thinking about, but none of which were this strong as the one that I finally pulled the plug on my career to build. And I thought at that point that I've got one shot in life and I decided to take the leap. As in all the kids like to say YOLO? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I would say even being an architect, you probably obviously have a sense of design. And if you're having to work for, and again, Christian Dior, I guess if people don't know, is fancy leather or fancy purses, fancy all types of clothing that like- Well, they do everything, yeah. Just so there's guys who have no idea. I've seen the name, but I just wanted to make sure. But if you're building these out these spaces and stuff, it probably could get pretty repetitive and not as interesting as like, okay, you designing a house from scratch or remodeling a house or even moving to a new apartment and redoing that. Do you think that part of that started settling in and why you wanted the change as well? I wouldn't say that so much. I mean, it was fascinating. It was beautiful. Like every place I got to go, I'm in this really high budget location where we're just spending loads of money on the display cases and even the hanging racks. Like, I mean, it was cool to watch it all come to life, but I think it was just living the corporate life. And I was so stressed out every single day, no matter what job. I just remember thinking, what am I in trouble for every day? And I think that's just working a corporate job in general. Okay, so like dealing with the management, making sure you have to do certain things and that make no sense to you? Yeah, and I know a lot of people might not relate to this, but there was this show called Melrose Place when I was in college and the owner of the company that everybody worked for was the biggest B-I-T-C-H. And I felt like I was working for Amanda from Melrose Place when I was in that job. And every day, my heart would just race when I'd pass her. Like there was just venom coming out of her eyes. And I hope she doesn't listen to this. I mean, like that adds up. You're going to a place with people you don't want to be around. You know, that's the reason I was just trying to get a sense of if you still say you love architecture, there must have been something. That's the reason I'm like, well, maybe the stuff she was doing was too repetitive. But really, it's kind of the workplace environment and being, I think all of us can relate about being around people who aren't fun to be around. You know, <laughs> I don't want to go to work if I'm working with a jackass. What was her last name? B-I-T-C-H, you said? Yeah, and I just spelled that out in case my mom listens. She doesn't like that word. <laughs> my mom stopped listening a long time ago. Okay, gotcha. She said I had too many sexual windows, so I won't go there. Don't worry. So eventually, did you just save up a lot of money doing this? I mean, because don't architects get paid pretty well, especially in New York? No, and I was doing some jobs in New York. Like even that job, I wasn't quite an architect. I was a project manager doing design work. So there were sort of realms of architecture that you could get paid more for. But yeah, I ended up doing really well and I was really good at saving money. I started an IRA early on and yeah, so I had a savings account when I decided to take that leap off that scary entrepreneurial cliff. So how much did the savings account have? I guess that was the $120,000 that I talked about on the Shark Tank. Okay. Well, that's how much you put into it up to that point, right? Yeah. I guess at that point, did you have any other money saved up or anything else? Because that's what I'm curious about, because New York's an expensive place too, right? That was pretty much the end of it. And that's sort of when I'd spent everything I had, I realized I couldn't pay my developer. I couldn't pay my accountant to do my taxes for our business. And I had run into a really, really bad situation financially, but I wasn't about to give up on what I'd been building for so many years already. No way. It wasn't an option. So that's when I found myself going onto the shark tank, hoping for an investment. 
and that was 2014 again. And 2013 is when you shot it, but I guess 2014 came out. So I'm just going to slow you down as far as it seems like we're almost to the end of your story because we saw a little while for the podcast. I just want to make sure, like, how did you as an architect get a hold of an app developer and like walk us through what mistakes you made there or what else you would do again, even before you went on Shark Tank? Oh, Lord, I made every mistake you could possibly make. I mean, if there was a spreadsheet with all the mistakes you could make as an entrepreneur, I made them all. Like I had no business starting a business, but 10 years later, I feel like I've gotten a master's degree in business and, and it took a while, but I guess I've always joked it was an inexpensive education, but yeah, well, we have looked for a web developer off of Craigslist and I got a couple of business guys to be my partner. When I first started it, they really believed in the idea and I met them at a Mardi Gras party one night. So they ended up being my two business partners, which I didn't really even need two business partners. I just needed one person that did business. That third person in our founding organization really should have been a tech developer, which is where I made so many mistakes throughout. That's where I started putting my money through a paper shredder, just hiring these ridiculous developers that I don't know what they were doing with my money, but my website kept breaking. And if you watch my Shark Tank, I'm talking about my website's broken. I just paid so many developers over and over and over again. And finally, there was, I think our third developer was like, yeah, your website is so messed up that we better just start from scratch instead of trying to fix what they've done in the back end of this. So that's when I just find some money. And so that was a point you went on Shark Tank, you're saying? Yeah. Okay. You said you made mistakes. So was it just like on Craigslist or did you go to, it's called Upwork now, but did you go to any other online like freelancing sites? This was a long time ago. This was 11 years ago. So I didn't even know, I don't think Upwork was a thing. I mean, these were the days when I only had a hundred friends on Facebook if I even had that. So it was just, the apps were hardly a thing back then. So these were people building my actual website. And the first people that are, our UX designer was in Bolivia, the web designer, there were two of them that worked together, but one was in England and the other one was in the Netherlands. I mean, it was just really difficult having all these moving pieces from all over the place and these conference calls and the language barrier and the time difference. I mean, we were trying to skimp by hiring people that way it just sort of came back to bite us. So I made three really bad decisions in hiring developers in the beginning of my business, which drilled through all my money. But I think the other big mistake that I made was giving equity to two people that had the same skill sets, which were those two guys that became my business partner. I just needed one of them, but they sort of came as a package. That probably was my other biggest mistake. If I'd had a tech founder from the beginning that could have helped build our website, I wouldn't have the story today, probably. I probably wouldn't have been on the Shark Tank. I'd have a functioning business back then. So I don't know. Maybe all this happened for a reason. Well, yeah, I guess we'll find out at the end. And you're saying the guys that you gave equity, two of them, were they good friends and you just met at a party and gave them equity? That seems kind of wild. Yes. Must be some type of party, huh? I knew one of them. Like we would go to some cookouts from time to time and he sort of came with this other guy and at this Mardi Gras party, I was telling the two of them about it. So, I mean, I knew them and they were friends of friends and... Did they have a good business acumen or something? Back then, I was just talking about this idea for one straight year. And so many people kept saying, this is such a great idea. You know, I didn't know the whole, everything to do for the business side of it. So getting incorporated, applying for the patent, the trademarks, 
the whole legal process, just all of it. I didn't know the first step. And I think that was probably the most intimidating part of starting this business. I was not worried about the design. I wasn't worried about the logo. I wasn't worried about the marketing or selling this idea. I knew I was going to nail all of this. But yeah, there was that one little section that I was missing. And that's why I was just happy to have these guys come and meet me one day. And they sort of spurted out all this stuff that we needed to do. So it sounded like they knew what they were doing. And they did. I just didn't need two of them. And so what do you end up giving up as far as equity? Well, I gave them both 15% each from the beginning, but right before I went out to film the Shark Tank, I mentioned this guy who had actually done a little coding for me in the past. He came to me and he said, I've been watching you for four years and I know if anyone's going to make this thing magic, it's going to be you. And I want to buy out your partners and I want to get involved. So he bought them out and now he's my angel and my partner and feels like a family member to me at this point. And so... He's 30% now and you're still 70? I don't even know. Something like that. Originally, he bought both of them out. So at least that's 30% minimum. And then even if you are 50-50, it really doesn't matter. But so this guy was a good coder. Like you said, he's been watching you from afar. Was he just creeping on one of your 100 Facebook friends or what? No, we'd hired him to do some work on our website during all this mess. So that's how we knew him. But then did those guys suck? He wasn't one of the agencies that we'd hired. He was just doing some work here and there. Was he good or no? Yeah, he was good. He's smart. And in fact, over the years when we weren't using him, those four years he'd been quote unquote watching me, he is a very savvy serial entrepreneur that has got business smarts and tech smarts. Yeah, when he came to me that day, I was like, this is my golden moment right here. And then he flew out to LA while I was filming the Shark Tank. And I just felt like this was the new beginning for me. And so was his name Alfred Peary? <laughs> No, Roger Chinchilla. We'll get to that, that name later. So yeah, who was this guy? I'm just curious. He sounds like a mystery man. Maybe I need to have him on the podcast too. Roger or Alfred? Roger. I didn't know what his name was. You just said he was a developer and then wanted to tell me the percentage. I was just trying to figure out who this guy was, if he was a guy from Netherlands or wherever. Yeah, he's like the magic man. He does all sorts of stuff. I got Roger, magic man, and he... Chinchilla. Yeah, his middle name is magic man. No, he's like a unicorn. He is a unicorn. Okay. And so he's in the U.S. Because again, you said you hired developers. Yes. I'm just trying to make sense of, it sounds like, was there just a shit ton of developers messing things up? I mean, it sounds like the main thing, I'm trying to learn what you would do different or if anyone else is starting a dating app or, you know, something like that. First off, like now it's easier, right, to find freelance talent elsewhere. But one thing I would say is if you're going to hire it from another country or countries, really, you should probably do it all from one country so they can communicate, like whether they're all from India or from Pakistan or the Netherlands versus like, it sounds like you had them in different domains, which made it way more complex. I mean, there's just so many little things that can go wrong. Like the worst and biggest fiasco in the 10 years of my business was that developer in England had the captured credit card button ticked off on our website. So we got covered in the New York Times style section on the cover and it said moveovermatch.com. This is the next generation of online dating. This was right after we launched in 2010 and we had all these people sign up and it was a monthly subscription fee. So when that month hit all these people's credit cards, it didn't save any of them. I personally emailed every single one of them and said, we lost your credit card information. Can you please give it back? We had two people responded. Out of how many? 
hundreds, like, I mean, all over America. That was the biggest day in the history of my business before the Shark Tank. And we lost the recurring subscription model that was going to be our financial model. And that was because one button was turned off from this developer in England. But, you know, I never even dreamt of, okay, let's test this a month before to see if it hits my credit card. Or I don't know. I never even thought about it. Well, no, now I will never forget about it either. I appreciate you. Like, <laughs> no, I'm being serious though. Like that hurts just thinking about, because after someone puts in the payment information, if you lost it too, that tells me I'm like, they don't have their shit together. But now everyone knows, hey, make sure you test it a full month beforehand and see if it's, even you could do like daily reoccurring. I don't know, something to test it out, a weekly reoccurring and then switch it to monthly. But like one little checkbox, like you're saying, I guess the people are paying like 10 bucks a month or something like that. Something like that. Yes. Yeah. So even if we're talking about like 300 people, what's 3000 bucks a month versus maybe two people or three people came back. And so it was 30 bucks a month versus 3000 bucks a month. Our calculation was that based on our average monthly user, we lost $30,000 from that mistake. I would say so. Cause I'm just talking about even the very next month, you know what I'm saying? Like you start annualizing it and then it hurts more. And you're like, did you have the UK developer make those calculations in Excel afterward or what? No, we did that personally, but figuring out how often people would stay on. I know. I was kind of joking to see what he did to you. Oh, <laughs> yeah. We definitely could have paid him with that money. But okay, that's where everything just started going downhill. That kind of sucks. But even when people on your team do something that you feel like it's not your fault, you have to own it. But it doesn't mean necessarily you knew about it, right? It's not like you knew how to do reoccurring stuff. Again, these are just little things that anyone's making a transition. Hopefully we learn from your story. There's something else here too. Again, this is before we went on Shark Tank. You're talking about like trademarks, copyrights, and patents or anything. Is there anything we should know in the beginning that you wish you did here before you even went on Shark Tank? I wish at this point that I had never gotten a patent because it's gotten me in more trouble than it's protected me from anything. And it took four years to get that patent. And it's pretty amazing when that thing comes in the mail to you. But I think we spent ten, twelve thousand dollars $12,000 trying to get that patent. Even now, there's so many technology businesses. And if it takes that long to get a patent, it's not even worth it because technology changes so quickly. It doesn't make sense. So that's another huge regret in a place that I threw away a lot of money that ended up costing me a lot more down the road because I'm getting sued over my patent. And yeah, that's what we'll allude to at the end. That's what we were talking about when I brought up the guy named Alfred, in case anyone's wondering. That's the guy suing. She doesn't like that name. She won't be naming her firstborn Alfred. No, I'm not having a firstborn. My business is my firstborn. My business is my baby. Well, let's talk about your baby some more. Should we just talk about what happened on Shark Tank then? You think that's the best where we jump to now from kind of 2010 and everything? Because I'm looking at pre-Shark Tank to Shark Tank, and then we'll walk year by year if you can after that. Yeah, it was epic. I remember a friend of mine knowing what I was going through. And, you know, a lot of people had actually said, your product is so perfect for the Shark Tank. Have you ever thought about going on there? And I really hadn't. I sort of knew what the show was. I'd never watched it. But one day, one of my friends in Texas sent me the link and she said, Shark Tank is looking for applicants for their next season. So I clicked on the link. I applied for anything anybody sent me, always, that had anything to do with promoting my business or applying for money. So I filled that application out, shut my computer, and three months later, I got the phone call from LA saying, oh, we just got your application, cute idea, we'd like to take you to the next level. So I had to send in a video audition, 
that was actually a lot of fun. I had a videographer come film that and we spent an entire week putting this thing together. I wanted to make the best audition video that anyone has ever submitted to the Shark Tank. And I think I did pretty well because I kept moving forward. And I guess it took a year until I finally found myself walking down that shark infested hallway into the room with those five investors. And I was so terrified. Like I wanted to just do some shots before I went out there just to chill out. I'd never taken a beta blocker before. You tested it before you went? Yeah, you don't know what it's going to happen. No, I've never had one before. And everybody's like, you should take one of those. I just don't want to, <laughs> not one too. Neither have I, but I, the first time of anything, I wouldn't do it going on national TV. <laughs> so you did not? Right. Yeah, I was so scared. I mean, I'm... So you did end up taking it or no? No, I didn't. I had two glasses of wine, two small glasses of wine in my trailer, and I, it didn't help. And I didn't want to drink much more because I just didn't want to be slurring my words. And I already have the Southern accent. I just didn't want to sound drunk. I would probably do the same thing in almost anyone else. You know, I'd have probably have a couple cocktails, to be honest, to loosen you up a little bit, give you a little liquid courage, and obviously not over drink. But I've got to say, like, talking to you now, you were talking way different on the Shark Tank. Do you ever, <laughs> did you notice that? You're talking kind of oddish, and I was like, wanted to wait to talk about that. What was the reasoning behind that? I was terrified. I had done that pitch in my sleep, like, seven trillion times over. I could have just done that on autopilot, which I ultimately did on autopilot because once I'd walked down that hallway, I remember they'd even said something about walking down the hallway. There was something I was supposed to do or not supposed to do and I didn't do it because I just needed to get my feet down the hall. I think they wanted me to look at a camera on the way in. So then once you get out there, you're in this sort of old country Western stare off with the sharks. And I don't know if I got so freaked out about them or all the equipment everywhere. Just imagining these 8 million viewers that were getting ready to watch whatever was happening to me on this stage. So like in that one or two minutes that I was in there with complete silence and them just staring me up and down, I just psyched myself out in a way I've never psyched myself out in my life. Then at some point, they're like, okay, go. I forget how they tell you to go, but my heart was beating in my throat and I was worried the words weren't going to come out of my mouth. I felt like I was on another reality planet. I just don't know if I was having an anxiety attack, but I just went on autopilot with that thing. And it was funny because I was just happy I got the words out. I didn't care really about the presentation. I just needed to get those words out. You've got one shot on that show. So if you pass out or you throw up, you're done. Like you don't get a second shot. So for me, I was successful. The day after the thing aired, my entire Twitter feed was filled with the cheek robot needs to blink or breathe. <laughs> needs to breathe and blink. And I'm like, yeah, I did, but I made it. Right. No, I agree with you. People can't really judge you till they've done it too. And I'm telling you, it'd be freaked out. But that's what I was wondering. I'm like, I didn't know if that was part of your plan because you did get all the words out. You were just talking real slow, like this kind of, you know, and versus like you sound very natural, obviously now. So that was the thing. I didn't know if that was part of your strategy. Or oh, no. Oh, no. Okay. She's like a different person on this episode than me listening and talking to her on that pre-interview. So especially it's not like you practice this, right? I mean, maybe you can practice it in a room of a couple people, but once you get all these lights on you and then have these billionaires in front of you, it's a little different. So did everyone just end up investing right away? Yeah. <laughs>
Oh, it was awful. And, um, you know, I had my eye on Mark Cuban. He was the one I wanted. And of course, he's the first person to go out. And I think you just watched it. So I think he was the one that actually got the idea more than the rest of them. He was even sort of arguing with them about how he got it. And then I said something stupid. I was like, I can change the population with this idea. And he's like, okay, I'm out. You're delusional. <laughs> so, I don't know. I've, You're like, I should have no, said that. Yeah, I even said, well, I didn't really mean that. Like, I was just trying to backpedal what I'd said, but you can't. And I just, when he went out, I felt like I'd been stabbed in the stomach. And then they're all, the rest of them who didn't get the idea are just like railing on me about the money I'd made. And, you know, I mean, they're sharks. They're looking for it a smart investment. And when I told them how much money I'd made, it was not interesting for them. And Kevin O'Leary started clicking his fingers together when he gets ready to tell when it's story time. And he told me one of those stories about taking my business behind the barn and shooting it like a rabid dog, which it was interesting because when he started to tell that story, I remember thinking, go somewhere else. So like I put my head in another plate. I did not listen to what he was saying because I knew it was just going to make everything worse. And there was a point where I could tell he was sort of bringing the story to an end. And I was like, okay, tune back in. I had no idea what he'd said. I just knew he was out. So then I just tried to stay brave for the rest of the three of them. In the end, Barbara ended up saying I was the right entrepreneur with the wrong idea. She wished me luck and I took her advice. I didn't completely quit the idea, but I changed it. So yeah, I was going to ask you what you thought about her advice. So you agreed with her? I mean, I realized when I tell that story about the little amount of money I'd made, but the problem was my website was always broken. And you all heard what I did with my money in that website. Like I couldn't pay someone to fix the stupid website. That's why I went on the show. That's exactly why you need a co-founder too. Because even if it's a freelancer, you're kind of screwed because it's like you can't really make them. But if it's a co-founder, they care a lot more making sure that thing works right. That is the number one lesson I've learned through this whole business. The people that you start your business with, your team is everything. And so coming out, like I said, it's basically what Barbara was saying, because I agreed with her 100%. To be honest, I wasn't sure if you're still doing Cheek today. I was like, you did, you'd switch a little bit, like you're saying, but probably not to the extent that she would have. But it's good that you at least heard some feedback and didn't keep doing the same thing. I mean, because you said you only had a little bit of money going in. Like how much money had you made? Uh, was it 50000 and I had spent 120000 <laughs> I don't even remember the numbers. It's just like... Right. I know. Yeah, it was a while ago. Obviously, it was like seven. We're talking about seven years ago or whatever. So. And I can barely watch the episode. I wouldn't if <laughs> I were you. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. No, I mean, it's like uh, Super Bowls. I don't know if you ever watched Super Bowl. Like usually the losing team, they're not going to watch the last. If they lost, they're like, I don't want to watch that. You know, it's not like it was that bad for you necessarily, but it's not like you need to go back and re almost every story already talks about Shark Tank and you. So it's not like you have to go revisit it yearly or anything like that. So after that, you come out of there, you, you have your partner, Roger, right? Mm -hmm. Going into it and coming out of it. He didn't come on with me, but he was there waiting for me when I came out. And so you said you didn't get the deal. And then so what changes did you make from before and after? So I filmed that, I think, in a September or October. So it took months for that to finally air. So after that had happened, I was already trying to spin the idea. So we were working on trying to come up with a new plan. But right after it aired, we didn't know how they were going to cut the episode. So whether you fail or succeed on the show, you don't know if they're going to make you look like a complete moron or if they're going to make you look like a champ that just didn't get an investment. Unfortunately, mine was the earlier which is, I think they chopped up everything that I said 
and it just went on a downward spiral the whole episode. Yeah, I remember walking around, even going to my gym the next day. I was thinking in New York City, everybody's looking at me. I kept thinking people were looking at me like that poor girl, what happened to her on television last night? And I even asked someone at my gym, do you happen to watch a Shark Tank? Like, I just wanted to spot check. Did somebody, like, who all watches this? Anyway, he had watched it, but he did watch it after. Yeah, so I think there was just a huge cloud over my business after that day. And within a month, my partner and I had sat down with an agency that we hired to spin our concept into online dating in the real world, but without the cards. And that's where we got into the Bluetooth connectivity and built this app. Okay, so it was like right afterwards. Okay, because I know you told us kind of what it is today, but basically right after Shark Tank, it's been kind of the same thing since then. Yeah. Okay. Did you end up getting a lot of users after that? Like what happened business-wise to make you still be doing it today? Well, we did get a lot of users. And the main problem we have with our app right now, there's a lot of problems. Like in a distanced world during a pandemic, there aren't people crowded in a bar or a gym or the coffee shop where this app really does all its magic. So that's a real problem for us. But we also ran into a lot of problems with the developer we hired to build the app. It took a year or longer to build the app. They couldn't quite ever get the thing to work right. And this could be one of the most expensive app developers in America, if not the world. So we were just really going to invest one last time. So we ran into a lot of problems with them, which was kind of shocking because we went to the top of the line. The other problem is, I guess, the 30-foot radius thing. You know, even in a city like New York, this doesn't work in a place like rural neighborhoods where people are not crossing each other all the time. So in a city like New York, it was just still really hard to get enough people on it to do its magic. We're not Match.com. We're not Bumble. We don't have that kind of money behind us. So I was trying to compete with these multi-billion dollar invested companies with just me and my partner. So it was really hard to get enough people on it to do what it needs to do. So you may have heard that there are other entrepreneur groups out there that can help you feel a little less lonely. Ones like EO, Vistage, or YPO. But why join any of those when you can get all those benefits at a fraction of the price? How? Well, join our Patreon membership. You've heard from some of our members how much of a steal our Patreon membership is. So here's some cold hard numbers for you. In year one with EO, you're going to spend 4,900 bucks. For Vistage, you're paying $18,810 for your first year. And for YPO, you're shoveling out $7,050 for your very first year. For our gold Patreon membership, you're getting it at less than 30 bucks a month. Let that sink in. Again, our gold membership is less than 30 bucks a month compared to those other guys that cost $4,900, and $7,050. So if you're on the fence, join today before I act like a smart businessman and I raise prices. Just go to millionaire-interviews.com forward slash Patreon. I belong to this international organization and you get once a month meeting, we all get together and I've gotten frustrated because I go in there and everybody's just kind of scooting over the top of everything and we're sitting there nodding our heads like we know what they're talking about. There's no details to it. For me, it's $700 a month and it's hard to justify 
you know. Honestly, I feel like that I've got 10 times more out of listening to your meetings. <laughs> that's like six years worth of story here. I mean, so that's just a summary of the last six years? Uh, well, I guess the app finally launched in 2015. Yeah, but it's just, it never quite took off the way it needed to. I mean, you can still download our app. Should I? And if you make it, it's pretty. But it seems like to me, so what I was assuming, that this is the reason I'm like, I thought you weren't doing Cheeks anymore because if I'm just looking at the number of ratings and reviews, I'm like, there's no way she make this financially viable anymore. So, I mean, were you doing anything else like a side business to make money? Because, I mean, you've been living, obviously. So I'm just wondering, like, how are you able to survive? Unless I'm wrong, financially, this thing has not worked out yet, right? Well, I was paying my rent with Airbnb guests scared to death I was going to get in trouble for that forever. And I do other things like user testing and I get paid speaking gigs. But, you know, a lot of this was pre-pandemic. I do some focus groups and just a lot of side hustles. And I've been doing that over the years. Even when I had a job, I used to do this stuff just for extra income. Right. Which is fine. I want everyone to understand, like, it's not everything magically worked out or even has seemed like it's worked out yet with it. But it's more like you're willing to do these other things. You have to be doing something else to have money come in, right? I mean, I think you've got to be really creative, especially if you're going to bootstrap your business, which is really how I got into doing all these side hustles. I mean, it was hard to juggle. I mean, I didn't quite leave my career when I even was building my business. But once it launched, I decided I can't just do all of this at the same time. So I quit my career. But yeah, I mean, I've been very creative about how to make money. And I think even to this day, after all the financial struggles I've been through, I'm glad that I learned that lesson of hustling to even pay my rent now because I've been through some other financial struggles, which is paying for this lawsuit that came out of the Shark Tank. And it's fine too that you're saying, you know, that's being an entrepreneur overall when you're renting out apartments or whatever on Airbnb just so you can still try your idea. That's what I was curious about what else was going on. And again, anyone understanding if you had to be doing something. So it's not like you just went to get another job. It was just doing all these little part-time gigs, it sounds like. Well, that and I, I sold everything. I remember looking in my apartment one day thinking, okay, there must be $70,000 Christian Dior clothing in there. I mean, I couldn't sell them for that, but I ended up selling all this stuff on eBay. I had a book collection. I think back then I even had a bunch of CDs. So I was just selling everything on Amazon, eBay, consignment stores. I was just going nuts. Like I had a store pretty much selling all my stuff to keep funding my business. Just another side hustle, if you will. You're just selling any assets that you had. Well, then why don't we go ahead and talk about when a lawsuit started happening and what's the deal with that? So I guess that's when you say six years, really looking at it, the past three and a half years have been completely debilitating personally, financially, and for my business, which a viewer of the rerun of a rerun of my Shark Tank episode in 2015 is suing me still to this day for stealing that dating card idea. And he's claiming that he told his therapist about this idea many years ago and that he had it before I did. And he thinks his therapist told me about the idea. Not that I was in therapy, but he thinks I'm friends with this woman who I've never met or seen in my life. When this lawsuit showed up in my email inbox, I thought this has got to be a joke. I don't know who any of these people are, to this day, I've never seen this man that's suing me. You can't find a picture of him online. And that therapist, I had to look her up on LinkedIn to make sure I've never seen her before. And we're on LinkedIn. I think we were three degrees separated. You know what that means when you're three degrees separated on LinkedIn? 
Tell me. It means you don't know the person. (laughs) (laughs) Like everyone else in the world, I'm at least two degrees separated from. And I don't even know those people. But three degrees means you're living in different planets, pretty much. Well, we're still two degrees away because you have not accepted my LinkedIn invitation yet. Oh, oh, I'll check it out. So we can be one degree instead of two. Okay, there we go. See, we're even two degrees. See? Yeah. So this guy is basically suing you because he said he told his therapist about the idea. The therapist told you that's basically how he's suing you? Yes, saying I went and built it. And in the lawsuit, he's suing me because I'm rich and famous from his idea. Right, but you're not rich and famous. Yes, you just heard my financial story. So to date, we've spent over, I think, $114,000 fighting these lawsuits. There have been three of them. One of them got tossed out. Then he came back, got a new lawyer, sued me again. And then somewhere along the line, I started a GoFundMe campaign to help pay the legal fees. I went to the press trying to tell the world about what was happening to see if I could somehow find someone that would help fund my lawsuit or help me legally, just anybody. I just needed help. So this third lawsuit came about because the man is claiming I defamed him by putting this into the hands of the press. So that third lawsuit was for $10 million. He's suing me for $10 million. That one got dismissed or they threw it out without prejudice, which means he can uh, try again. So do you think you might've gave him like a cheeked business card back in the day and you didn't accept his... No, he's not claiming that. I'm joking. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You're not the first person to say that. Damn it. I thought I was clever. Well, I mean, for me with this guy, it's just like, that's the thing. I didn't really know too much of your financial background or anything, but okay. If you had an app that I heard that was like taken off like Bumble or something, then it makes sense to see, even if I'm lying about everything. Right. But you can tell like he's going to spend more time and energy on that. And then it drains you too. Cause that's one thing we talked about too, is just talking about how much energy that drains from you. It's not even like the financial aspect. It's like you trying to pursue something different with Cheeked or anything else or just make cheeked better when you have this over your head and just constant negativity. I think it seems like it'd be hard to work. No, I feel like I could be one of the most resilient, invincible entrepreneurs of my time. And I feel like I've been beaten up every day. It haunts me every single day. Well, I'll tell you, you are resilient because you're keeping up trying to make this thing work. That's for sure. You definitely have that. Well, you know, most entrepreneurs and the sharks would cringe if they heard me say this, but there's something about this journey is something aside from making money. Like I've done the opposite. I've thrown money away and I haven't made money. But this journey of mine for the past 12 years has just been the most amazing thing. I mean, even in these awful times, some really incredible things have come out of it. And I will always try to find the light at the end of this tunnel. And there's not a day that goes by that I feel like if things happen for a reason, I haven't quite gotten to the bottom of why these lawsuits have come at me this way. I've got nothing to give this man, even if he were to win. I've got nothing. So I don't have a house. I don't have anything. So but does he want my Havianya flip-flops? Does he want my hat collection? My, I don't know. My harmonicas? I don't know what he wants. But it's all going to lead to something. And, you know, now that I'm in Louisville, I've, I've started a new life here and there's a tight knit entrepreneur group here and I've started meeting with some of them and I'm coming up with a new idea. And, you know, this time around, I want to find a developer that will be my founder, my co-founder, and I've got a great idea that I'd like to bring to life as soon as I can. 
is it still within the dating realm? Or are you going to kind of like close down the cheek thing and just let it go? Or what's the plan? I don't feel like we can close cheek to ever. I mean, even though our app doesn't work, we can't afford to, while we're paying legal fees, there's no money that can go into this business, which is why our app isn't working right now. But it's like my legacy. And I've always made a joke that when I'm 80 years old in the nursing home, I'm going to be on a cane just walking around doing something with cheeks, whether it's for like senior citizens or I just can't let it go. But yeah, this new idea of mine is actually spawned from me being in a new town and it being really difficult to meet people or even, I mean, I've spent so many days in New York City going to networking events after working hours and met so many amazing people, but I can't do that here. And I don't really even have a lot of friends here. I'm single. And dating in a pandemic is nearly impossible. So my idea is about putting all these things into one app. And I've got a pretty cool way that I think I can bring people together. So you're going to get a patent on that? No. <laughs> is that a joke? Yeah. I'm making sure we round up everything we've learned because at least you've learned some things, right? And I thought it was interesting talking about your story because, again, it's not like you've made a lot of money and you're sold a business yet or anything, but it's like bringing real world like expectations to other people listening and just always hear the positive stories, right? You know, more than business stuff, it's like, to me, I'm surprised you're still like so positive, you know, to keep wanting to do it, even with someone like suing you all the time and stuff. Where were you able to get that positivity? Well, I've always been really stubborn. So, you know, like I just sort of gave up on New York City and I am kind of paralleling giving up this business in a similar way. But like I mentioned, this is my baby for 10 years. And if I haven't given up yet after everything I've been through, like why do I just want to yank the plug on this thing right now? Oh, because you haven't been making money. <laughs> okay. But like I said, it's maybe not about the money. Right. I believe you. Trust me that I'm not doing this podcast because of money. I used to make more money doing not the podcast, you know, so I understand deeper meanings, right? And understanding that. But you just said that maybe there's another app idea where it's you meeting other people, right? I mean, you can still spin it and use it like mobile apps. Maybe it's not even going to be a mobile app if cheeked in a couple of years. Again, it's up to you, obviously, what you do with it. But I'm just surprised, again, that you're able to stay so positive because I imagine there's so many people who tell you to stop doing it. It's weird because now more than ever, I feel like people are cheering for me more than ever. Like when I should have quit a long time ago, everybody's like, okay, you're crazy. Why are you still doing this? Everybody that knows my story now is like, okay, don't give up. <laughs> right. Because everyone likes it if you can make it. And that's obviously unbelievable. To me, I just don't know where for most people, I mean, almost 99.9% .9 of people have given up. If it's not really brought in them any financial value and you have people suing you over it. It doesn't seem ridiculous, the guy suing you. I know I'm only hearing your side of the story, but even to me, say it's true that therapist or whatever told you, but you said you've never met, you're not friends with them, whatever. Like the therapist, why are they not in trouble? They got sued. The therapist got sued too, but she somehow, they dropped her out of it. They just really were coming after me. Yeah, which she obviously has money. And if it would be her, like I said, she obviously have a financial business. I thought that's like 101. I'm not a therapist, but I know you're not supposed to talk about other people's issues outside of, you know, someone telling you about that. Again, I try not to do too much Googling or whatever, but even like you're saying, you have a lot of proof, it seems like, that you came up with this idea before you're reciting again all the things that he was saying. But it just, to me, is so draining dealing with something on that and it's not making you a lot of money. So I understand, again, having a different purpose or, or why you want to do it. But again, I probably would have given up and I think a lot more people would. So obviously, I hope you still make it, but just didn't know. Again, you said you weren't going to 
quote unquote close it down or anything, but it seems like you're about to take a different direction, right? For me right now, Cheeks is just sort of simmering over there until I can get through these lawsuits and somehow deal with it financially. And meanwhile, I want to try to start something new that's not going to cost me money to build, which means getting a developer on my team. So what is that? And how are you making money right now, even during the pandemic? Just doing this side hustle stuff when I can. Yeah, I feel like what I'm paying in rent here in Louisville, Kentucky is a third of what I was paying in New York. So I sort of, even though it's, I'm living in a place that seems expensive for people that live here, I feel like it's free. Like where I'm living, it feels like highway robbery. So to come up with the rent that I'm paying here just doesn't seem as taunting or daunting as it was in New York. So I guess that's another good lesson too. I'm again, I'm just trying to go through because I made some notes of like what we could learn from your story and you're very relatable. So again, I appreciate you coming on and sharing all this because it's not easy. Like, you know how easy it is to, for everyone to talk about like, oh, I made millions and millions of dollars from selling my business and having successful business, but, <laughs> and they don't mind telling about their downturns in their story, but no one will ever talk about it while they're kind of like in the middle of it. Like I've found recently, it's been even harder for me to get guests because dealing with the pandemic, it's like, some businesses are doing great, but a lot of them aren't. And so now it's like a lot of people don't want to talk when it's talking about that. And you were willing to open up about it. So I definitely appreciate that. I'm wondering if any of this can help someone else, whatever I'm going through, whatever I've been through. And the fact that I haven't given up is inspiration to someone or is a lesson to maybe quit. I don't know. I just feel like whatever's happened to me in the past decade, I am literally writing the book. And that's also a plan. Right. We've already learned if they forget anything, they're like, okay, if I do a subscription service, guess what? I'm checking that box with right. the monthly. <laughs> like, and that was a big lesson. And I think what we talked about too, about the patent, that makes a lot of sense of like not even being worth the hassle when you're dealing with technology and whatnot. So that's what I was going to ask if there's anything else kind of looking back that you would have changed or maybe a young entrepreneur or someone who's 10 or 15 years into a nine to five, like what other things do you think they need to know coming out and starting their own business, whether it's a mobile app or something else? I really think that thing is the most important of all. And I think all the mistakes that I got hit with or the obstacles that I overcame, it really ultimately had to do with the people that I had surrounded myself with. And, you know, a lot of that was my mistake for maybe not researching the tech teams that we hired to work on our apps. I should have done more research or had some more in-depth meetings with them. But yeah, I think it's just all about people. Have you always been that way or was there was a time that you're like having kind of like a pity party and you're like, you know, why me? Why all this stuff? I've got to still be positive despite all that. That's one thing I'm trying to figure out. I mean, this the last few years have been really difficult. The fact that they just we keep winning these lawsuits or not even winning, like I'm not losing them. So I guess that is like a win, but you still just don't lose. I remember so many days just walking around New York City just aimlessly thinking, why is this happening? Like I have done everything in my power to keep this business alive, the crazy stuff I've done to keep it alive. And I just couldn't understand why this little business of mine that has made no money and has done the exact opposite. Why is someone taking this away from me? But yeah, and I still don't have the answer. I'll open up the same thing with me in the podcast. It's like, I wonder why I do it sometimes because it's just like, it's supposed to go out to a lot of these people who are listening. And then I never get feedback from people who are listening, to be honest. And it's like, I try to have these good conversations so people can learn from them. But it's kind of ridiculous the amount of like, I might get an email once every, like now, probably every couple months. 
And it's just like, okay, does anyone even appreciate what I'm doing, right? So that's more of just a thing of wanting to feel appreciative of people who are listening right now. Again, if I were in your shoes and then people are suing me and shit, I'd be like, fuck this, you know, <laughs> to be honest, you know, like I was just trying to help, you know, and it's like, same thing with you with an app and trying to do something that was helpful. And then you have the opposite happening. It's, you have to have like a lot of grit, you know, to not just stop. Yeah, I think grit is the number one crucial characteristic in entrepreneurship because it ain't easy. Yeah, you definitely display that. I'll give you that. That's for sure. I appreciate you again coming on and sharing where you are in this. So kind of looking back, is there any last words of wisdom or anything else that anyone could learn from your story here? I guess when you put yourself out there, some good things can happen, but some bad things can happen. But I'd say no matter what, if you've got an idea you can't stop thinking about, I'd say take the leap because we got one shot in life. Tomorrow's not guaranteed. And although there's going to be a lot of obstacles, this could be the most magical journey of your life. And I can say that firsthand. Because you only live once. YOLO, right? YOLO. There you go. And if someone wanted to reach out and say thank you for doing the interview, what's the best way for them to reach you? Or, you know, I've got a lot of technical people who maybe if you're looking for a co-founder or whatever. Oh, I'll take it. Yes. So what's the best way for them to reach you? I am Cheeked on pretty much everything. That's C-H-E-E-K-D. And I'm Lori at Cheeked on email. Okay. And so you can just reach her there and then we'll have your LinkedIn profile and hopefully you and I will be your first connection by the time this airs. So I appreciate it, Lori, coming in and sharing your story. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Flash forward to 2009. And I'm back in the golf business as a club pro. And I get a message on my MySpace page from a 14-year-old kid in Mexico claiming that I was his father. You know, he says I impregnated his mom in the champagne room at a club in Cozumel on New Year's Eve in 1998. And I immediately called bullshit because I remember that night vividly. And there were at least five other guys with me uh, that were also prime candidates. So I have to go down there as part of a paternity hearing and the night before I have to testify. So if you want to hear more interesting stories just like this preview, well, become a Patreon member today. You know you're missing out. Just check the link in your episode description below to join the club or go to millionaire-interviews.com forward slash Patreon. Thanks again for tuning in and we'll see you in the membership forum.